You can turn your Bibles this morning to Job chapter 3. Now, last week we began to look at what's often called the problem of evil. Now, this is something that's difficult and, and just hard emotionally. We recognize that it, it's, it's weighty. Like We look around the world and we see that it's a broken place that it's a messed up place, and that we all experience evil and pain and suffering in some way, shape, or form. We deal with hardship and heartache, and we recognize that this is not just some kind of abstract idea that we're talking about, something that we're theorizing about, but it, it hits home, and it hits home deeply. You know, this, this morning, I, I think about even just this past week, and having the opportunity to sit with someone as they're slowly saying goodbye to their loved one and just grieving the loss as their father, father's life on this earth is coming to an end. And it's, it's hard to know what to do and, and what to say. You just sometimes sit and you're like, I want to help, but what can I say that, that offers help? We see tragedy in this life. And we all wrestle with it, every one of us. We, we, we wonder why. We're, we're familiar with the question, and sometimes we might ask it glibly, but, but it, it hits us deep, and it, it's like, well, why do bad things happen to good people? You ever wondered that before? And so this is what the problem of, of evil is all about. And we ask these questions about why does God allow evil and suffering? Are evil and suffering even compatible with the idea of an all-good an all-powerful God? Why doesn't God put a stop to evil right now? Like, if He's all-powerful and He's good, why doesn't He just stop it right now? And as we begin to look deeply into this question, we, we see that it goes beyond our raw emotional response. We do react to evil and react, we react strongly when we see someone suffering. But if, if we are self-aware and honest enough, we might recognize that we ourselves are sources of evil. There's evil that lurks in my own heart. There's a rejection of God. There's, there's pride. There's a desire to do it my way than, rather than his way. There are things that I've said in my life that have been hurtful to other people. And so if we say, like, well, why, why doesn't God put a stop to evil right now? Well, well that would mean if he, if he were to do that, he'd have to put a stop to you and to me right now. I'm so thankful that my God is a merciful God, that my God is a, is a kind God. And the word says that his kindness leads us to repentance. And so last week, as we began to talk about evil and suffering, we, we recognized that the problem of evil and suffering is both intellectual, it's, 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 a, it's in our minds, and it's also emotional. It has to do with our hearts. And we said last week that there's, there's truth and that sometimes our emotions have trouble apprehending the truth, but that doesn't make the truth any less true. And remember I gave the illustration last week about this dream that I had where I was really angry at a couple of people because they had done something that was really terrible. And in my dream, I was yelling at them and I was, I was reaming them out for, for what they had done and calling them to do something better, and I was so angry about it. 
And I woke up and I could feel that emotion. You've had that experience, right? We, we talked about this last week. Like, that emotion was so real that I had to like talk myself back into reality for a second. That's not real. That didn't actually happen. And then later that day, I saw those same people and those emotions came back up again. I was like, it was a dream, Brandon. It wasn't reality. Calm down, right? Like, we, our, our emotions and, and our minds um, sometimes aren't always in the same place. And, and so it's helpful to understand that as we wrestle with evil and suffering in the world, we have to separate the, the intellectual side, the, the, the mental side of it from the emotional side. And we discussed this. Again, go check it out online. I'll just give you a, a brief summary because I, I just want to remind you where we've been as we dive into the emotional side today. But on the intellectual side, we said this. We said that, that God is all good and all-powerful. We said that evil is a lack of goodness in the world. It's a uh, deviation from the standard of God's goodness. And that much of the evil in the world exists as the result of free choices of human beings. Right? Like, God can't make us freely choose to do something. That's, that's logically impossible to make someone make a free choice. Like, that, that doesn't work that way. And so a lot of the the choices that people make account for evil that we see. And then we said that God might have good reasons to allow pain and suffering that we just can't simply see. God's good reasons might not even show up in our lifetimes. We're not in a good position to tell the outcome when something happens. God's ultimate end might be good, and he might have good reasons for allowing the evil and suffering that we see in this world. So, That's where we left off with the intellectual problem. But what about the emotional problem? And the thing is, like, the intellectual answers that that we ran through last week and talked about and tried to wrestle with the truth of, they might actually not help very much in terms of bringing comfort when someone is suffering. Sometimes they can sound cold and unfeeling, yet they're true. We have to be able to stand on the truth, but also speak to the emotional side of things. And so the question that we're going to tackle today is, how do we handle the hurt and the sorrow and the fear and the anger that accompany evil, pain, and suffering? What do we do with the emotional side of things? And as, as I think through this, man, I can go through my life about all the, the hurts and things that, that I've experienced. As I, I've seen loved ones suffer. You turn on the TV, you see suffering all over the world, and you can feel the depths of the sorrow and and, and the pain there. And so we'll be looking at several different ways that we can tackle this. And this might not be fully uh, comprehensive of everything that we would want to consider, but this would be a start. And a lot of things that we're going to talk about today are much easier said than done. Each of these things are going to be summed up you know, in just a, a few words, but they require some things of us. They require real courage. They require humility. They require self-discipline. But the reality is that our God is faithful and he will meet us where we are. So as we begin, we're asking this question again, how do we handle the emotions that we experience in the midst of evil and suffering that occurs in this life. The first thing that I would offer this morning is that we need to simply acknowledge what's happening. 
Like, we need to, to be real. We need to acknowledge the reality of evil and suffering, and we need to acknowledge our emotional turmoil. Because when we see difficult things happening, when we see people suffering, when we're suffering ourselves, we're, we're really tempted to just ignore it. Like, just avoid it at all costs. Even if I'm feeling it, I don't want to look at my feelings. I don't want to look at that mess. It's just too painful to even acknowledge. And, and so we, we have a tendency to kind of run away from it and just pretend it's not there. That's not going to help. It, it's, it's, it's there, and we have to wrestle with not only the evil in the world, but what's going on inside of our hearts. And see, the, the problem with this is sometimes we may even use spirituality and our Christianity to kind of gloss over the pain and the suffering that we see. We, we kind of go like shallow, but we sound spiritual. And we, we might even attempt to quote Bible verses to ourselves. We might try to avoid the weight of what we're feeling by just going out and doing things for the Lord. We're just going to go serve the Lord and ignore that problem over there. And and I describe these kinds of things as using a spiritual band-aid. Like, there's nothing wrong with reminding yourselves of the truth of the gospel. Like, we need to be reminded of Scripture and what God's promises are. There's nothing wrong with, with serving the Lord, but, but they can get in the way of us dealing with our problems if we're not using them in the right way. Sometimes we use them as spiritual band-aids, and we just quote a verse to ourselves so we don't have to think about the hardship or the pain, we quote this verse to ourselves and we're using this Band-Aid when we actually need open-heart surgery. Like if you need open-heart surgery, a Band-Aid on your chest is not going to fix you. So yes, we do want to wrestle and hold on to what God says, but don't try to short-circuit the process. Allow Him to penetrate deeply into you His truth, rather than just trying to blind yourself by quoting a Bible verse and moving on quickly, Okay? Watch here what Job says. We, we remember the story of Job, right? And, and one day he loses basically everything. He's a wealthy man. He's blameless before God. God is bragging about him. Look at my servant Job. He's, he's righteous. And then one day he loses all of his wealth. He loses his children. He loses his, his health. And he's left there. And his, his wife is basically telling him to curse God and die. His, his friends show up. He's in such a bad state that his friends can't they don't know what to say. They're just silent for seven days. They just sit there. And eventually, they decide, well, we're going we're gonna to tell you what's wrong with you, Job. But watch what Job says as he's dealing with this, this pain. We're going to read this whole chapter. It says, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish and the night that said a boy is conceived, that day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor entered into any of the, mount, the months. May, the, may that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse the Leviathan May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? 
For now, I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with kings and rulers of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins with princes who had gold who filled their houses with silver. Or why was it Or why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from turmoil, and there the weary are at rest. Captives also enjoy their ease. They no longer hear the slave driver's shout. The small and the great are there, and the slaves are freed from their owners. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter soul? To those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food, my groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me, what I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil." That's painful. What's he saying? I wish I'd never been born and I want to die. Look at what he says. May the day of my birth perish. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? For sighing has become my daily food. What I feared has come. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. I wish I wasn't here. I wish I wasn't suffering. I wish I wasn't feeling this. It would have been better if I wasn't born and I want to die now so it ends. That's his heart right now. He's in the midst of this great pain. And like Job, as we experience pain, as we experience suffering, we need to ask ourselves what's going on inside of us and we need to pay attention to those emotions. We need to ask ourselves, what is it that I'm feeling right now? What is the sadness? What what am I afraid of? What am I angry about? See, a lot of times we think of these emotions as as negative emotions. You know, we just want to be happy all the time. I just want to feel joy and feel good, right? Because, you know, that's that's better than feeling sad. But, see, our emotions, they aren't good or bad necessarily, they're often indicators that something is deeply wrong. When you're, when you're feeling heartbroken over something, when you're feeling angry about something, it's often a, a warning light going, something's wrong, something's wrong. And it could be external to you. It could be something out in the world that's not right and you're upset about it and you have every right to be upset about it. It could be something that's internal where, like, I got to check my heart. Now, Bob gave a great illustration of that this morning, a wrestling with, you know, what's going on in, in, in my heart and God help me here, right? There's, they're warning lights. And as we wrestle with what's actually going on inside of us, with what's happening, we need to grieve before God and be open and honest with Him. We said this a few weeks ago when we were wrestling with the hiddenness of God. And, hey, God, are you there? Are you even paying attention? Like, He can handle those questions and He can handle those emotions. <coughs> God knows what it's like to be grieved. So we can... Bring those to him. Bring that reality to him and acknowledge it before him. And as we do that, the second thing I think that we have to to do is wait on him. That we need to be patient and wait on God in the middle of confusion and disorientation. When something like that happens in your life, it's just like, 
I don't even know who I am anymore. Like, I can't process this. I can't imagine. Like, have you ever talked to someone who's, who's, who's lost a loved one and it just hasn't sunk in yet? It's like, they're, they're, they're not quite <laughs> grasping the reality of the situation. And in the midst of that suffering and, and that confusion, when we're reeling from the hurt and the pain, we need to be careful to go slow and not rush. The Psalms talk about this. Psalm 130, verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in His word I put my trust. Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. I encourage you to go back sometime later today or this week and look at Psalm 37. The whole context of Psalm 37 is the psalmist, the guy who's writing this, is looking at the world and he's like, God, there's all these people who are doing evil. There's all these people who are doing wrong things and wickedness, and sometimes it looks like they're prospering. God, sometimes it looks like everything's going great for them. Like, I, I, I don't know how to handle that. Like, there's all these people doing wrong things and hurting others. And the response is, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. And one verse in the psalm, he says, Refrain from anger. Don't fret about those things because that will only lead to more evil. That will take you to the, to the wrong place. But, but he encourage us, encourages us to, to wait and be still. As you're in the middle of this pain and suffering, it's important that you understand that there are no quick fixes. Like, we want quick fixes. We don't like to wait. We want things to be taken care of instantly. I want high speed, fast everything right now. I don't want to wait. But as you look at the scriptures and the way that God works and how he's worked in the lives of many people over the years, like God works things in his timing and we need to wait on him. Think about Job. He, he had a catastrophic loss. He lost his family. He lost his health. His friends uh, accuse him of wrongdoing when he's blameless. And Job for 30-some chapters pours out his heart as he wrestles with his friends about why he's, he's doing this. And, and then eventually God shows up and speaks to him. But it takes time. Think back about the example of Joseph in the Old Testament, right? His, he's, he's hated by his brothers. They sell him into slavery. He gets falsely accused and imprisoned. He didn't do anything wrong, and yet he suffers and suffers and suffers. And then eventually, God brings about good purpose for this suffering and raises him up to uh, the second in command of Egypt and saves his entire family through that. But took a long... Can you imagine all those years in prison? All those years in slavery? Before you see anything good come out of it? Here's the thing. We need to wait because healing takes time. Think of it like a, a, a physical wound. You know, if you've had surgery, like, a, like an in-depth surgery, it takes months to like fully recover. It takes, a, it takes a long time for the body to heal. And the same is true of our emotional hurts as well. Like God wants to bring healing, but sometimes it takes a while as he does that deep work in us. Again, a Band-Aid's not going to fix it when you need to get down deep in your heart. The third thing that I would say as we wrestle with this emotionally is that we need to look to Jesus that God is not a distant creator and judge, but rather he is a loving father who shares in our sufferings and our hurts. 
He's not hard-hearted or callous towards us. He's not looking to like whack you over the head and beat you up, but rather he wants to show you love and compassion. And the thing is that Jesus entered into suffering for us. Would you guys turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2? We're going to read starting with verse 10, Hebrews chapter 2. It's talking about God's plan in saving people through Jesus. Hebrews 2 verse 10 says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for, their sin, for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. As we look at this, we can draw out a couple of things. There's a, this passage is, is, is just full of stuff, but just some things I want to highlight. Like, God made Jesus, the, who's the pioneer of our salvation, perfect through suffering. God is not a God who created the world, and, and when people chose to do evil, all the consequences of evil fell upon everyone, and God just sat back and said, That's, it's your mess now. I don't think you guys can fix it. Just deal with it. Like, like when my kids make a mess, I'm like, it's your mess. Deal with it. Like there are all kinds of people that, that, that we deal with every day and we see the consequence of their mess and we're tempted to say, it's your bed, you made it, you got to lie in it now, right? Like we're, we're tempted to do that, but that's not who our God is. What does it say? It says that Jesus took on flesh, that he shared in their humanity, that he was made like us in every way, that he was fully human in every way. And then it says that he is our merciful and faithful high priest who made atonement for us. And this is the idea that as our priest, he is our representative before God. And he's not hard-hearted about it, but he shows mercy. And he, he has made atonement. He has paid the price for our sin on our behalf. And so it says here that because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus experienced suffering in the ways that we experience suffering. He was nailed to a cross, for goodness sake. And so when we're dealing with suffering, we need to know that Jesus is able to help. He understands he was God in the flesh. He knows what our suffering is like. And he is not far, but he is near and he is able to help. We want to trust God. 
We look to Jesus and we want to trust God. Here's the thing, then this is the hard thing intellectually, because I'm a person who likes to know things. Like, I would like to know everything there is to know about everything. Like, that would just be cool if I could do that, right? Uh, I like to study. I like to research. I like to read. I like to watch videos where people teach things. I like to listen to teaching. Like, I would like to know everything, right? Anybody there with me? No? Okay, well, all right. Somebody, thank you. Like, we want explanations, why did this bad thing happen? Why am I going through this? Why am, I, why am I suffering? And the thing is, we're not promised an explanation. I wish I could tell you that we were. Like, I wish I could tell you that God's one day going to sit down and explain it all to us, and it's all going to be like, okay, because we're like, oh, I get it now, God. Thank you for explaining that to me. But that's not what we're promised. As we look at the end of Job, we see these, these friends wrestle with Job about um, their theology and their view of God, and it ends up all being wrong. And God shows up at the end of the book, and God says, hey, Job, you're making a charge against me that I'm unfair and I'm unjust, but let me ask you something. Where were you when I created the earth? Where were you when I laid its foundations? How did all that work? Tell me. Explain it to me. Can you, can you show me why, you know, this particular creature does this thing? And that particular creature does this other thing and how I provide for it all. And, and ultimately, Job doesn't get an answer. He waits on God. God shows up. God provides comfort, but it's not in the form of an explanation. He doesn't owe us an explanation, but he does tell us that we can trust him. And Job, at the end of the book, he's like, he was accusing God of being unjust, and he says, I spoke of things I did not understand. It was too much for me to comprehend. But as God invites us to trust him, we are promised that God will ultimately restore us. The word says in Romans 8 that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Like, this is a silly example, right? Because there's much more evil in suffering this. But anybody ever had a kidney stone? Anybody? Worst pain I've ever had. Like, I've had multiple kidney stones. A couple of Christmases ago, right before Liddy was born. Was it before or after? I don't even remember. Um, I, had, I had kidney stone. I, I didn't make it. To, I woke up at 2 in the morning... And I was starting to hurt. And I hurt so bad that I fell down. I got up and I started texting people, I'm not going to make it to church today. I didn't tell them, I'm not feeling well. I didn't say exactly what it was because I didn't know exactly what it was. But I've had a kidney stone before. I knew what it felt like. For two whole days, I laid on the couch and just groaned in pain. And every now and then I'd feel good enough to get up, right? And I'm like, God, just, I don't know. I don't want to say kill me now, but that might be better, Lord. Like, and I look at that. And I go, well, why did I have to go through that? And again, that is very small and minor compared to some suffering that we see in the world. But you know how many days I think about that kidney stone? None. I've forgotten about it. Like, I, was, I just thought about it as I was thinking about the way this kind of works. Like, 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 there is something as horrendous and terrible and as painful as the suffering and evil is in this world, there is something about it that is not going to be measurable compared to what eternity is like. And when, when we're there, 
It's not even going to enter our minds. God says that he's going to work all things for the good of those who love him. This is an important truth. It's something that we, that we wrestle with. And in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And that doesn't mean that everything that happens is good, but God is able to bring some kind of good out of it. And the, the scripture goes on to tell us what that good is, that his good plan, if you continue reading those verses there, is for us to be conformed to the image of his son. Like God's good plan is not that we're happy all the time. It's not that we're, we're, we're jumping for joy all the time. God's good plan is that we are conformed to the image of Jesus. And so sometimes there's going to be suffering in life that will help us to more conform to the likeness and goodness of Jesus. He is forming goodness in us rather than helping us to feel good all the time. He's transforming us into goodness rather than making us feel good all the time. That's his plan for us. The good of those who love him is being conformed into the image of Jesus. And then Romans 8, it continues. It says, who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is nothing. No one. No trouble, no hardship, no famine, no nakedness, no, no sword, no angels, no demons, no heights, no depths. The present or the future, nothing can separate us from his love. And so he invites us to trust him. He's promised us. We, we read in the, at the end of the scriptures, where God makes all things new. There's this picture of, in Revelation 21 of the new heaven and the new earth. And it says there that God himself will be with them, that we experience eternal fellowship with God. That's what makes heaven heaven. Heaven is not heaven as we, as we picture it because there's lots of good things there. Heaven is heaven because God is there and he is good. And when we're in his presence, he says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is a promise that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. Like this is his promise for those who trust in him. So as we hold on to this hope, in the middle of our suffering, we need to let him bring comfort. 2 Corinthians says it this way, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. And we need to understand that, that our God is compassionate. He is a loving Father who wants to help us. He will speak into us and bring healing if we take these things to Him, if we wait on Him, if we look to Him, if we trust in Him. He will ultimately bring healing. Don't shut Him out. When you're hurting, it's tempting to shut everybody out. Because you couldn't possibly understand my pain. You couldn't possibly understand what I'm feeling like. Don't, don't you tell me you know what it's like because nobody's hurt like I've hurt before. And by the way, you stay out and God, you stay out too. Sometimes we get angry like that, right? We felt those things. There, there was a time in our life where, where someone was, was um, hurting me and I knew, absolutely knew that they were in the wrong and it just continued and it continued. And there are days I just want to get in the car and drive away. I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'm out of here. There are days I just sit and cry. And in the middle of that, as I tried to wrestle with that before God, God came alongside of me and said, I see it. I see you. I see you. The Holy Spirit in his graciousness said, I agree. What they're doing is not right. But they're free. I've created them to be free. I can't make them do the right thing. But I want you to know that I see you. And I see you in your suffering and your hurt. And I'm grieving with you. God comforts. 
God speaks. He loves. If we let him in, don't be tempted to shut him out. And that verse in Corinthians, it goes on. It doesn't stop there. It says, the, the God of all comfort comforts us in all our troubles so that we can help others. It says, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. The scripture tells us that we rejoice with those who rejoice and that we mourn with those who mourn. We, we come alongside and we, we cry tears together. When trouble comes, we need to, to be there as a loving friend. Someone to just listen. Like Job's friends, when they show up, they initially get it right. They don't say anything. Then they got to go and open their big mouth, right? Like, like a lot of times, like we want to fix it. We see someone hurting and we want to give them the answers real quick so they'll, they'll get better because we're uncomfortable when they're uncomfortable. But we don't have to do that. Even if you think you know some answers, you don't always have to lead with that. Sometimes you just need to lead with a hug. Sometimes you just need to lead with a, with a listening ear and just sit and bear that pain with them. To be a, a calm presence in the midst of a raging storm. To be someone that they can just lean on. You don't have to fix it all. So, those would be the starting places. That as we wrestle emotionally with the evil and the pain and the suffering, we recognize that there are intellectual answers, but there are emotional hurts that have to be dealt with. And the thing is, this is real work. This takes some effort and sometimes I don't want to put in the effort, and I don't want to put in the work of taking my heart before God and allowing him to be transformed. But if I don't, he can't transform me. If I don't take it to God, he can't change me. He can't give me peace. He can't help me to love better and bring me to a place of humility and brokenness where I can understand his love for a hurt and lost and dying world. So don't avoid it or ignore it, but go deep and find the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. He is our Savior and our Redeemer. Just sum up what we've discussed. That we want to acknowledge that evil and suffering, and we want to grieve it. Don't run from it. Grieve it. Wait before the Lord and look to Jesus. He's able to help, and we can trust God and His promises. He will bring comfort. And as he brings comfort, that helps us to be able to comfort others. We come alongside with them and we cry with them. We sit, we listen, and we love. We speak truth and hope, but we do so with kindness and not trying to fix a problem. See, ultimately, when it comes to evil and suffering, we're given this promise, we're given this hope that God will rescue, that God will restore and that God will redeem, and one day he will wipe away every tear. There will be no more mourning or death or crying or pain because all things will be made new. Trust in him when you can't see. Trust in him, and he will show up, and he will make you new. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this time that we've had to dive deep into your word. Lord, we've talked about a lot of things, and we've talked about a lot of... Oh, weighty, heartbreaking issues. Yet you are God in heaven. 
And so, Lord, in our weakness, in our limits, in our hurts, we put our hope and our trust in you. We are not creator, but you are. And so, God, I pray that you would work in each one of us as we deal with the heartaches and that you would bring new life, that you would restore joy, and that you would remind us of hope as we eagerly await the day when all things are made new. Until then, we trust in you. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.